What a pleasure to uh, welcome you once again to another episode of Swing Thoughts. This is the golf program that really doesn't talk much about your golf swing. It's a bit of irony. It's a play on words, Tim. It uh, is. It al- is. Although I would, I would, I'd like to let everyone in on a, a little dirty secret of Swing Thoughts. By the way, I'm Howard. That's Tim. If you've downloaded the show, you, you know who we are. But, you know, that's Tim O'Connor, huh? Humble Howard. But I, I want to let everyone in on the dirty secret of Swing Thoughts. Can I tell everyone that when we're not talking about the mental side, sometimes, <laughs> Tim, sometimes, Tim and I talk about golf swing stuff. I know, I know, I know. It's, that is the dirty secret, isn't it? Hey, what about the other day? I got day? called out on that by a client this week. <laughs> I did. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I said I had said I had a lesson with Mike Martz. He goes, "Oh, you're going down the rabbit hole of mechanics, aren't you?" Well, I said, "No, I'm not. No, that's I'm not." Funny, honest. So, I, for everyone, uh, I caught up with Tim on, on another matter. I guess it was midweek, and we started talking a little bit. And of course, and uh, you were telling me about your lesson. I was like, "Oh, dude, come on up!" And I took the computer because we were on a Zoom call. And I took the computer up to my golf lab, and for about 10 minutes, Tim and I were giving each other golf lessons, golf swing lessons. Okay? There it is. Sometimes we do. Okay. And Sorry. it's okay. It is okay. <laughs> uh, because, you know, it's funny that that day I said to you, I said, you know, even though a lot of our conversations the, the predominantly are about how the mental part of golf relates to not only the game of golf, but how it relates to you know, life in general. And that's our guest this morning. We're going to talk about that in a second. But I also said to Timmy, I said, you know, sometimes I just want to talk to you about what I'm doing on my backswing because it's very important. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you can't help it. Can't help it, man. It's like, you know, you're going through like I'm going through Golf Digest and it's like uh, how to get more distance. I'm not going to look at that. Wait a sec. I want to look at that. That's right. <laughs> well, I, what I do on my Instagram and now TikTok is I just keep saving videos. I have a thousand saved videos about the position of my right wrist as it cocks in the downswing. Anyway, uh, this show is our uh, 151st episode and our last episode of this bizarre year. And we thought, what a great time to check in with a, somebody that's guested on our program before. Very interesting cat uh, from the world of uh, the Mankind Project, also an avid golfer. He is a lawyer, uh, an advocate for um, people, but also uh, has a, a, a keen interest in transformational work. And we'll find out what that is. But let's welcome back fellow golf geek, George Durrani. What a pleasure to have you on Swing Thoughts, George. It is so great to be back with you two men, and I'm so glad we don't have to talk about my swing today. <laughs> I, I recall the last time we talked to you, you were telling a story, I think, of being having some trouble with your driver. Yeah. Okay, there yeah. you go. I can't it's tell you my... Take, all about the takeaway, right? You know, that's yeah, but... so weird. I can't remember how to add fractions, but I know I remember you had trouble with your driver, so there you go. Yeah, that, that issue, thankfully, has been solved for now, but I'm sure it's going to cycle back around. I want to start with this, because as I mentioned in the introduction, and I know from talking to Tim about you, that you have a deep interest in a lot of different things. But I want to know, what what happened first for George Durrani? Was it an interest in golf, and then you sort of realized that that had applications in your in your life? Or were you already working on the transformational stuff, and then golf just seemed to make sense? It was actually a combination of 
the two. I, I picked up golf when I was 27 years old just by a fluke. Went to a driving range with a friend of mine, and he handed me a club and a bucket of balls and showed me how to, you know, how to start hitting a few balls. And, you know, I caught the golf bug, and I started playing golf. I didn't even start with lessons. It was probably 10 years later. By then, I had already been in some of the transformational work that I began to make a connection between the game of golf, playing golf, life. And um, I actually had a bumper sticker that said, you know, life is easy. Golf is hard. <laughs> yeah, and no kidding. I, I had that on the back of my pickup truck for a while. And then, you know, now that it's been, uh, it's hard to say this, but it's been 35 years since since I picked up a club. And I, I use golf as, and I know it sounds trite, but I use it as part of my spiritual practice. You know, I get a real sense of how my internal landscape is doing how I'm doing on a golf course, not in relation to my swing or in relation to my score, but in how I relate to the non-negotiable parts of the game, which is all of it. You know, it's you can't negotiate with physics. You don't get to negotiate with an outcome. It's already happened. Um, you know, you don't get to negotiate with how a course is designed. You have to accept everything exactly the way it is. And that's been the, the most difficult part, not only of the game, but but of my life, to be with my life exactly the way it is and the way it isn't. So I use golf as the the playground practice field for that that meditation on life, if you will. Do you find that there's times in kind of regular life as a lawyer, as a as a partner, that every once in a while you think, my gosh, I show up here just like the way I do on the first tee sometimes oh, it's, they're completely linked together you know um, by the way my birthday was yesterday and I was on the golf course two days ago and the guys that I golf with regularly handed me this book called Why You Suck at Golf <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> by, by Clive Scarf I'm sure you know it that's awesome but, you know the first 40 of the 50 things in there um, are all things that I do that don't improve my game. But for me, it's it's really not about improving my game. It's about improving my relationship to my life and to the way I live my life. And I and I use the, the game of golf um, as the place to do that. Now, you know, could I do that with racquetball or squash or swimming laps or fishing? Maybe, you know, but I just happen to find something I really truly love that is aesthetically beautiful and and takes time i think part of the beauty of golf is you can't rush through a round of golf you know it takes three four five hours so you you either get present to that or or you're you're lost somewhere you know you said something in uh in that part of your conversation that i i love the non-negotiable parts of golf and by association the non-negotiable parts of life but but so many golfers you know get stuck in this idea that you know it's it's too windy the course is too hard the greens are too fast etc etc and and that becomes their 
that's where they're, they are. They're not actually with, with their feet on the ground. And, and we've talked a lot in 150-plus shows. It all kind of boils down. And I, I mean, there's several things, I think, that are tenets of our philosophy, if you will. But one of them is be where your body is. Your brain's in the, in the past and the future. But if you can be where your body is on that golf course and by association where you are, wherever you are, it does. T- it, it certainly helps to get rid of the noise. How do you find? How do you find golf has helped you be less in a uh, you know sort of a conflict with your regular life? How has it helped? Well, I'll give you an example just from Wednesday. So we had a frost delay here in Arizona that was supposed to be an hour. So I took the hour. Well, forty-five minutes into the hour, I got a call from my mate saying. Hey, we're we're up on the tee box. Where are you? Well, I was still ten minutes away, and so no time to practice, no time to prepare. So I literally threw my clubs on the back of the cart and walked to the first tee, and didn't even make a practice swing, and and had to get on the green. It was a pretty over water. That was the opening hole. And in in uh, in 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 my crazy world, that would have been a problem, right? But in being in that moment, when I realized, look, this is where you're at. You're going to step up to the tee box. You're going to grab a six iron, and you're going to hit this shot over the water, and you're going to put it on the green. That's all you're going to do. And that's exactly what I did. Now, it landed a few feet short of the green, and I walked off of there with a par. But for me, that was like the compression of everything that we've just talked about, which is if I can get present to that moment and deal with just that, the rest of it goes away. It didn't matter that I was late. It didn't matter that I hadn't prepared. It didn't matter that um, my mates were worried about me being late. None of that was, literally, none of that was in play. The only thing that was in play, getting the ball up, making a swing, and moving on down to the to the green. You know, so um, if I could do that, and you know, I did it for two, three more holes, and then I had a triple bogey. So. <laughs> yeah. So you know, as as one of my friends says, the the mean you always return to the mean. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because that's part of the non negotiation. The non negotiation. Well, in, in golf terms, we say that eventually everyone's handicap shows up, good and bad. Yeah, and it did, you know. And um, so we laughed about that. But back to your question, can I get present to everything going on in my life? You know, that's really the question in the moment. So I'll give you a couple other examples. My dad is 91. He's been living facility. Hey, hey George, we're, we're starting to... We're, oh, there you are. Because I was going to say, for a second there, you were frozen on the screen and your audio. Timmy, I, I don't know if... Uh, I was, Timmy was trying to ask me a question about your audio. Yeah. But it, it, it sounds fine. I'm looking at it on the board here, Timmy, and it sounds fine. It's a little bit... You know, it's not optimal, but I, we're certainly hearing everything you're saying. Yeah. Um, but, Timmy, did you want to break in there with a question quickly? Well, I part of what I wanted to explore with you, George, today was the whole thing of, uh, we've talked about this on past shows, about taking things personally. And so I think this is, you and I explored that. We had a, you, you helped me through a situation about, gosh, six or seven years ago uh, that I was, some, something that I was really disappointed about. And you, as a mentor, helped me through that. And the core message was don't take it personally. And I got to tell you, that was huge for me to to surmount that. So where I'm making the connection is Howard and I have talked a lot on this show about 
identifying with our golf shots, identifying with our golf scores. You know, I'm a certain kind of golfer. I have this handicap, therefore I'm this kind of golfer. So I'd just like maybe you to dip your toe in that water a little bit about this whole idea of of taking things personally and how do we get you know, the danger of that and how do we get out of it? It's, it's really tricky. You know, Don Miguel Ruiz in The Four Agreements, the book he wrote that's really important, one of the four agreements that we need to make with ourselves is to never take anything personally. Um, that's a very simple statement with huge layers of complexity built into it. So for, for me on the golf course, um, the tricky part is that we're inside of the game. Like it, it, is, it is a game that I'm playing and you're playing. Personally, we're in the game, right? So how do I not take the game and the results of the game and everything that happens in the game, how do I not take those things personally? Um, and, and the only way to do that is to create some space in there where you can actually notice that the fact that I'm creating those results, that doesn't mean anything about me other than the result. <laughs> That's right. So the moment, I, the moment I attach an additional meaning to it beyond that, oh, hey, oh, I hit that ball to the right or I hit that ball to the left or I left that putt short or I just made three over par on that hole. Those are just data points that I can look at and measure and see. Beyond that, the moment I attach meaning to any of that that's about me, then I've made it personal rather than just being personally involved. Well, what, what you just said about a shot or a score or a round or a, a summer being about you and, and a reflection of you as a person is one of the toughest things for people when they come to the game of golf because as you just pointed out you're actually doing it it feels so personal I'll just as a, as a sidebar though I was just laughing at myself I was involved with her in a relationship uh, the one before this one and I remember she used to say this to me all the time you take things so personally I said you just told me I was a piece of shit that's about me isn't it <laughs> Is it, wasn't that didn't you just say you anyway uh, continue <laughs> Continue, George. That is, uh, honestly, for golfers listening, if you can somehow get what George is saying about taking you out of the result of what just happened, those, those, you're going to feel so lighter. So much lightness comes from that. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, if you're a kid in school and you're in third grade and you get beat up by somebody, right? And you attach a meaning to that, like, hey, I deserved it. Or I don't matter. I'm a loser. I'm a loser, right? I'm a worthless piece of fill in the blank. Be if you add that meaning to that event, then you'll carry that with you into the rest of your life. I've worked with thousands and thousands of men for 30 years who've had to untangle the meaning out of the traumatic experiences of their life. That's the same thing that plays out on the golf course. Making three over par on a par five means nothing about a human being. Nothing. Everything that we add as meaning is stuff we've created in our own heads as grown-ups playing this game. It is just a, literally, it's a number that you put on a scorecard, and then you move on to the next tee box. But to get that clear and that clean about it is really, really difficult because we add meaning to everything that happens in our lives. Everything, including the good stuff, by the way. Like, oh, I deserve that. I've got a guy that has a lot of good luck on the golf course, and we're constantly joking about what a 
spiritual giant he is, right? <laughs> Doing that? Really? No, it's just the physics of the moment created the bounce off of the bridge that allowed the ball to stay in play, right? I hate that guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it had, you know, so it, 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 it cuts the other way. The fact that, that you know, you, that you lift out a putt on a really fast green and you're now putting twice the distance you were before, that doesn't mean anything about you. It's just what happened, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to separate meaning from data, if you will, I think the first step in that process, that's and then a, notice we do it, which is which is everywhere. It's that's a great way to put it, separating meaning from data. Timely. Well, I think the key word there was notice. Yeah. Is, is just like you said, something happens to you in your family of origin or in you know elementary school, and you carry this meaning with it your, your whole life. So in certain situations, particularly under stress, so you got a great score going or a tournament, and and that old stuff comes up. But yeah. the trick, as you said, it is tricky business. It's like, how do I notice it instead of being caught up in it? So, do you have anything for our listeners, George, on on that noticing piece? How do we how do we begin to become aware when we're caught in the throes of of that of those old messages and things? Well, usually you're. You know, for me, I'm speeding up because once the, the first meaning is in there, then I'm racing into the next one. And then, by the way, my whole round can spiral, you know. Uh, so just basically slowing down, taking a breath. So you're saying you notice. Okay, so yeah. your noticing piece for you is you're aware that when things start to not go the way you like it, perhaps, you start to speed up. So you're aware of, yeah. the, of that tendency. Yeah, and then I'm adding, I'm piling one meaning on top of another, and pretty soon I'm like, you know, I can't believe I came out here. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not just a horrible golfer. I'm a horrible human being. I wasted my life. Life sucks. The yeah. world's going to end. You know, it is despair, you know, to the fourth power, you know. So all of that is going on really, really quickly. So beginning, the first step in me is like notice and then slow slow way way down you know slow down my walk to the next tee box even and um and realize that wait a minute you just put a number on a scorecard that's all that happened there you know one of the i was just gonna say that allows you to separate yourself that's that's where kind of the detachment happens yeah that creates some space between my meaning my thinking about the things that i've just done and that I've just done those things, and and they've happened. You know, what I was going to say, uh, Timmy, that as golf, you know, fans, when we watch professionals play or we play in a group with a really good player, you know, sometimes people are fascinated. Like, what's what what special things can they do that I have I can't do? But one of the things that a, a high level player can do that others can do too, which is is to just leave each shot as a singular experience and move on because professionals and good players that I've observed have this amazing ability, which I think is available to us to separate, to detach and then hit the next shot. To me, when I watch high level golf, that is the thing that fascinates me the most that they can hit a less than agreeable shot. They don't take it personally and they put all their, it's like Ruiz says, one of the agreements is always do your best. And so on the next shot, they, they're able to bring their best to that moment. What do you do when you find yourself spiraling and you're like, oh, crap, I'm four over through whatever. 
how do you remind yourself to always do your best? Boy, it's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, breathing, slowing down, um, maybe bringing a little humor and levity into the situation. You know, perfectionism and taking myself too seriously go hand in hand. You know, I've been accused of being way, way too intense about everything. Oh, really? It is that we're playing a game of golf. It's not It's not work. You know, it's not my living. It's, it's what I'm doing for fun. It's how I aesthetically enjoy a walk around some of the most beautiful real estate in the world. Um, I was playing at 49er Country Club on the east side of Tucson on Wednesday on an absolutely majestically perfect winter day and and noticing my privilege to be able to do that. Right. You know, now 20 million Americans are out of work and we're up to our eyeballs in COVID and I got a chance to do that and I'm complaining about a triple bogey? Really? <laughs> no, it's it's like really kind of reining in that egoic part of me that, that thinks that having a bad hole is suffering. Really? Yeah. That's not suffering. It sure it's feels just, like it though, doesn't it, Timmy? It feels like suffering. Oh, absolutely, and, and interesting you use that word because that I think what that that was the core piece of show one hundred and fifty <laughs> was was looking at golf as as you know the suffering and, and how we exacerbate our suffering through the things that we the names we call ourselves uh, the expectations and how we identify. Howard, part of the reason I wanted to get George on was to talk about your experience because you one of the things that that. I've noticed in in you in the last couple of years is that you don't identify as much as you used to with golf. So talk about maybe in your in your earlier troubled life, <laughs> <laughs> wow. golf life, yeah, about know. the whole thing of identifying yourself with your scores and maybe your handicap, etc. Well, I'm still suffering. <clears throat> Make no mistake about it. Aren't we all? I'm still suffering every day. Uh, I think what I. You know, four or five years ago when we first started, you know, I I had periods where I would be okay, I could compete, and then there would be periods where I was in such golf hell that I couldn't figure my way out of it. And, And this isn't to say, George, that I haven't had moments in the last couple of summers where, you know, I told the story on the show about hitting the inside of my car so hard I almost broke my hand after a round of golf. A round of golf, George! Yeah. Um, but but in general, my I, I have learned, and it's a. I, I would say this to anyone listening who's heard me talk about this: it is a learned skill, just like your backswing, and it is a practice, meditative or however you want to put put it, to, to catch yourself. And, and through talking to the people that we've had on the show, George, I've just used techniques to catch myself doing all the things we've talked about. And what Tim's referring to is the last couple of summers for me as a tournament player, I've had my best results at age 59 and 60 because finally I'm semi-grown up enough to leave a bad shot and put my attention on the next shot. One of my most proud moments in a couple of summers is in a tournament, I made a nine on a par four, and the next hole was a par three, and I made a two. And my buddies were texting me because the scores were online. They're like, dude, <laughs> like, nice recovery. Because when I walked off the green that I made a nine on, I just left it behind. I didn't drag it with me. And I think more than anything, Tim, uh, and George, that's the thing is I've stopped dragging as much stuff into every situation. Does that relate to you? Yeah. 
So, you know, putting the past in the past is a gigantic transformational move in everything that we do. Um, we, we drag so much of the past into the present and then put it into our future automatically as a default move, right? So if I can put the past in the past, the parts of the past that don't serve me anymore, there are things from the past that I do want to carry with me. You know, love and appreciation, my, the, the, the things that my ancestor gave me that served me, I want to keep those with me and carry those into the future. But those meanings from the past that I've been carrying, that stuff, I've got to find a way to leave behind me. And it's exactly the same thing, like leaving the score on the last hole behind you. Can, can we do it? You can, but it takes, as, you, as you've said, it takes noticing first and then practice. And then you actually have to do the next thing, right? So if you're going to put the past in the past, what's left? The thing that's in front of you. That's the only thing that's left. Yeah, well, I think um, yeah, so much of that I just so agree with. Um, but as Howard said, it's a skill. Mm-hmm. It's not something you just, you're born with. It's something that you go through hard experiences and you learn like, holy crap, that doesn't serve me to, to, to drag that sack of rocks, all those bat- messages, those names I call myself, all that past bullshit. And, and, that's, and that's, that is a skill. And and you know you and I have worked worked with men um, together on this, and you just see how they're just almost like shackled to this stuff that they they drag through their lives. Like you, know, you got, but it's that sense of freedom that you get when you're able to surmount that and just kind of step over that line and go. That's that story I've been dragging me around my whole life. That's not true. You know that you guys heard that expression, the fog of war. I, I know you have. Sometimes with, with men in particular, but human beings, sometimes we're in this fog of war with ourselves. And, and when you can lift a little bit of that, and in this case, golf, when you can sort of start to see that there's another way to approach the game, it does lift a little bit of that. And, it, and, it, and I'm sure you guys in your work have seen people just, like, lighten. There's a, there's a, a lightness to being less involved in your own personal shit. Yeah. One of my friends says that the deepest longing of every human being is for is freedom. It's not joy, not happiness, it's not success, it's not victory, but it's freedom. Like the freedom to be fully self-expressed, the freedom to be fully in our bodies. So how does that play out on the golf course? I, I know when I'm free on the golf course because I actually have the sensation and the experience of it. It doesn't come often, often enough. But when I have it, I mean, I can actually feel it in my swing. I can feel it in the way I putt. I can feel it in the way I'm moving on the golf course. I can feel it in the way I'm relating to my score. And when it when it's that kind of freedom, there is no fog. There's there's just clarity. There's just open space. And that that's what I long for in my life and and on the golf course. And and I love having access to that. And I think golf can give us that. But it's difficult. It's difficult work. I mean, when we talked about, we, we, you've talked about, you've been involved in transformational work. You've worked with alcoholics. You've been sober for, I don't know how many. 32 years now. Yeah, 32? Exactly. Congratulations. I'm, uh, Thank you. I'm three weeks away from five years on January. Hey, <laughs> I know. You. I know what that takes. I'll tell you what they said to me when I got my five years. 
Howard, no one's going to give a shit till you got 10. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because I have a, my, my mentor, my, uh, he, I guess for lack of a better word, my sponsor, but he's not, not officially, but he, he's 15 years in and he says, five years, you're just getting started. You're just getting started. Just getting started, kid. You're a baby. So, <laughs> so you know what? This, that's amazing stuff. So congrats to, to both of you men. But um, you've been through some tough shit. I mean that's that's what this trans- transforming. There, there's no shortcut. No. This is like you have to go through hard stuff. So George, you know I know we're talking about golf and this could also be applied to life. But what does it take for someone to if someone is just like so tired, maybe they even feel like they're at rock bottom. How do you kind of pick up and go forward to for that transformation as opposed to going deeper into the into the spiral or just giving up? I don't know. Well, for mo- most men, you know, they internalize just about everything. They, we live externally, but then we internalize and we stay locked down. So for most men, it's you got to open your mouth and you got to say what you just said to him. And I say, say it to somebody else. Say it to a man. Come sit in a men's circle and get support and be listened to and share the burden and notice that you're not alone that the story that men have about those struggles, those are universal stories, and that there are ways to get out of those traps that we've set for ourselves or that have been handed to us generationally. You know, I came out of four or five generations of addiction and insanity on both sides of my family. I thought that was normal, right? Until one day I realized, wait a minute, that's not normal. That's crazy, right? There's stuff I got to do here. And I opened my mouth and I discovered that there were other people that had noticed that in their family systems. And then I found my way into a room and I found other men like me. Then I found men that I could sit with in a men's circle to talk about that stuff. And the load and the struggle got lighter and lighter and lighter. And, you know, I still, I go to men's meetings twice a week, you know, because this stuff isn't done in me. Um, It's still there. I got to deal with it all the time. So, the, the first thing I would say is is open your mouth and share it out loud with somebody who can hear it. And if that is in a therapist's office or in a 12-step meeting or in a men's support group or in a church group, do that first. And then notice how things open up for you from there. Listen, George Durani, we could talk to you for uh, days and days. We appreciate you giving us your time today. Uh I don't know. Usually with uh, people that we have on the show, we say, if you'd like to hear more of George's thing, go to georgedurani.com. But uh, it's been... Your website, I see your website is... uh, It's more about your practice. Yeah, but they can contact me about any of this. Okay. It's D-A-R-A-N-Y-I.com, and the information will be when we post this on our Facebook page as well. But as a a golfer and as a fellow... uh, traveler here on this uh this journey thanks so much and, and we certainly appreciate it um and good luck with that country of yours george i don't know buddy <laughs> we, we were talking thanks, before sir. before we hit record but like it'll get better i hope for you buddy yeah i'm i'm optimistic cautiously optimistic i'm really grateful you guys asked me back it's good to be with you and and uh hit them long hit them straight and and don't care no. Well, and, just, and George, just remember, it's the toughest game ever devised, 
by anybody. And uh, yeah. I love I love that book. Golf. What, what was the name of that book again? You got from your buddies? It's why you suck? Why at you golf. suck at golf? All right, man. <laughs> All right, man. Take George Durrani, thank you very much. Thanks, George. Cheers. Uh, you're listening Bye. to Swing Thoughts. We're going to continue now. Tim and I are wrapping the uh, the year up. You know, um, I I didn't realize because you've got your chat disabled. You've got to go in there and and I did I know. the same. I, I've I've tried to fix that. And uh, I can I help know. you through it. Um, I'm just. Just an old guy trying to deal with technology. Yeah, I know, I but if you, it. it's really simple. I, I, I was doing the same thing for a while, but it's, I think it's under participants. If you go under participants, you can see some of the stuff there. Uh, we'll very, do that later. Yeah, I we can do distracted. it. Yeah, well, you know, it's a, you know what? Here's the great thing about our podcast. You know, people know we're well-meaning. Um, yeah, he's a bright guy. Uh, I did want to get some golfy golf stuff in here. Before we wrap up for the year, and I also want to wrap up the uh, yeah the year that was. What a weird, what a strange year this has been. And, and I think a lot, you know, we talk a lot about it on the Humble and Fred show, obviously, but you know, just in life too. Like, could you? Ha- I, this is the the sentence starts. Could you have ever imagined a year ago we'd be in this pickle? You know, whether it's the fraudulent election or the fact that millions of people have been affected and, and died of this thing. It's just it's just bizarre to me. It's completely bizarre. I, I think of um, think of like a kid 25 years from now and he looks back at pictures of when he was like two or three. Yeah. And him and his brothers and sisters are wearing masks. That just strikes me as so weird. And. But and that's gonna that's gonna have such a such an impression. I think that's one of the things that, as with a lot of things, we'll look back and, and look like wow, you know this that generation of people were really affected by that thing. I agree. You know, you think about the people that lived through the uh, the pandemic of nineteen hundred and eighteen. What 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 effect did that have on them in terms of their feelings of security and their feelings of safety and health and and so on and and we're not going to be immune to that no pun intended we're not going like even after mm. there's a vaccine there's going to be a, a, a psychological pandemic that goes on for a long time before people feel you know normal you know when this thing first started and I remember the conversations we were having on the air and maybe even on this show about you know the new normal or when can we return but by the time we get to Whatever we had before this, people will have forgotten what it felt like to be the old normal because there's there's going to be a paradigm where there still be people in masks, there's still going to be social distancing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, for quite a long time. Yeah, and having to show if you want to go into a movie or into a bar, you have to show a little card or something on your phone that shows, yes, I've been vaccinated. And then there's going to be those people go like, hey, I ain't doing that. That's some kind of like yeah. uh, pharma government uh, control thing. Um, yeah, it's just it's very it's going to have an effect. But you think of think of people who, you know, who many of whom are still alive, like my mother, who grew up in the Depression. Yeah. And the effect they had on them and their relationship with money and how, you know, their appreciation of things, it, it has such a lasting impact. And, and I think that that's, a, that's an interesting point to connect with what we talked about with George, is that things happen to us, whether, you know, at our age in life or, you know, as a younger person, these things happen and they have 
they have an effect. They stick to us. And later on, we start to see how they've how they've kind of dragged us down or we still have to fight off this old message. In some ways, I think that there's some I call it the COVID silver linings playbook. There's some good things. That oh, very that. nice. COVID silver linings playbook. I do. I very much enjoy that. That was very cute. Thank you. Thank you. Very nice. I'm so, going to steal it. <laughs> hey, I steal you. I steal from you liberally. I was saying to Sandy this morning, you know a word I use that I never used to use? I use the word nonsense all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a direct steal from Howard. Now, so you, you can have it. Um, yeah, there's this, uh, again, I, I, I want to get back into some golf stuff. There's an article I sent, Timmy, everyone, that I think uh, maybe what we'll do is I'll include it on our Facebook page. And by the way, we're, we're going to try and get a little bit more active in 2021, Tim and I, to kind of maybe, you know, make a little bit more of an effort on our social media. We've been talking about that, but I'll get to this article in a second. But this last thing I wanted to mention about the pandemic, and I read an article this morning like I like you, I've been up for hours, and um, one of the things I read was an ar- a, 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 an account from a, a critical care nurse somewhere in America attending to a patient that was dying of COVID nineteen on a ventilator. Just the saddest thing. Who oh, yeah. maintains the patient maintained that the virus was fake? They they were dying of it, and they still didn't believe that it was a real virus. And that probably more than anything I've heard, not this specific case, but the idea that there's a certain number of people, not just in America, but all over the world, that think it's just some crazy conspiracy. And like, you know, you and I maybe get 25 more years on the planet. I'll never understand that. I I won't. I just don't have the capacity to understand how that could be. But it is what it is. Yeah, well, I think I look at what my work is like I had. I think we talked about it on this show that at the the morning after the election. So I went. To, I'll be brief. The, I went to bed ten thirty so the night of the election. It looked like Biden had like sort of like fifty sixty more electoral college votes. I wake up the next morning and it's almost a dead heat. I was so depressed. <laughs> I could, like no, it's your point. I couldn't understand it, and I figured you know what my work is. My work is to understand people like of the seventy two million who voted for that guy. You know, and the Canadians who who are like Trump's like, or the people who think that, you know, as I say, vaccines are some way to control us. It's some from pharma conspiracy thought control thing. I can't get my head around that. Yeah. So what to me it's like again connecting back to what George said is it, we were talking about the belief systems that people carry around and and what. What basically? What happened to you, people, yeah. in your life that everything is viewed for this through this conspiratorial lens? Well, I and think George touched it, on. If I may interject quickly, is it's it's a, yeah, it's, a it's a projection of of trauma. I said this yes. on our show. Exactly. I think I said it to you too, but I said it on the Humble and Fred show for sure. That anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, uh, election is fraud. Blah blah blah. They're just afraid. It's it, it it is a projection of fear that that started at some point long before. And you're much more versed on this than I am. But I just have a, a glimpse into people's trauma is what manifests themselves is 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 manifest is made manifest by their personalities. So when you hear people say the vaccine is not going to all that, they they're just they're just scared. And so they think, well, I'm, I'm afraid at some point, and I distrust authority, blah, 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 and this is how it manifests in, 
in what I say and what I believe. Uh, I'm with you 100. percent Particularly the 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 trust piece. Yeah, I just yeah, someone will tell me something, and you know, I, you know, there's other things that I was connected this week. Interesting thing in the New York Times about um, critical thinking. You know, and, and are we produce? Have we kind of lost that in our society? You know, everything has to be black or white, yes or no. Well, we, if you really think through things, there's no yes or no. It's nothing's black and white. There's nuance and there's gray, and it seems that we've kind of lost that because we have this like knee jerk reaction to things. Yes, that's correct. That is evil. That's communist. That's oh, that's a way to drag us into. So into kind of like a, I don't know, a cult of thinking and giving my have to giving my money away or something. Yeah, for sure. All right, here's the thing. I'm. Uh, we'll wrap up the uh, the golf part of the uh, the year, and then uh, we'll wish everyone the best. But it's, I sent you that article. It's called uh, uh, "Course Strategy: Low Handicappers." Let me make sure I got this right. Uh, yeah. Ten core strategy tactics low handicappers know that high handicappers don't. And I'm going to put it up. Uh, when I uh, post the show, I'll put the article there. But uh, I won't go through all ten. But I did, you know, you and I talked about this the other day. And, you know, little things like, you know, knowing their yard, know, being honest about your yardages, uh, always know where the trouble is, adjust your expectations, etc., you know, when, and when it comes to putting, they have good speed control. And a lot of the, n- none of that, there's 10 of them, but none of it has anything really to do with, yeah, they may have a better motion, but they're all strategic things. And um, I have it in front of me, but, but that's what I wanted to talk to you about is one of the things I've noticed about when I play with higher handicap players, and maybe you have, and maybe, I don't know if we've touched on this, is is being honest about how far you hit a golf ball. <laughs> and I've said this in different ways that everyone that I play with that has a handicap over 10 always tells me how far they they hit the ball in relationship to how far they hit it once or how far they wish they hit it. And I think better players, the better players I play with, the scratch golfers and the plus handicaps, aren't ever trying to force the number. They're less interested in what club... That's one thing I almost never hear my peer group ask other than in to get a, a perspective. Like, like I, I, I would ask you what club you hit so I can go, oh, okay, he hits his seven iron about this, but I'm not asking what club you hit because I want to hit it as far as you. You know what I mean? Like, Whereas higher handicap players, I find, have an, an unrealistic or un... Help me out here. They're, they're, they think the, the, the yardage, that a seven iron has to go this far. And I think more than anything else, you know, as a thing for next year, you want to get your handicap down, whatever you think you hit your seven iron, hit a six iron. You know what I mean? Play a bit yeah. more club. In fact, one of the other things they say is that good players can take some yardage off the club. And, and lastly, I'll say my uh, mentor, my friend, my best buddy, Paul, Henrik, who we've had on the show, he always says the number on the bottom of the club, it's not, it doesn't tell you how far that club goes. You tell it how far it goes. You know, you, you're, just, do you want to just jump in there? Does that any of that resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. It even connects, it connects with what George was talking about, not taking anything personally or identifying. Right. And I think that when you become, uh, you, you start to get some experience in this game and you start to get a little bit better, 
it's not necessarily because you have a better motion like you talked about it's about your ability to navigate your way sort of in in an interior way with the game so that you're not caught up in well because I'm this age and I'm this kind of player I need to be able to hit my 7 iron 165 yards or something yeah because as soon as I make that kind of connection to something I'm connected to that outcome because if I don't hit it 165 yards, well, that, what does that say about me? You know, as you know, my health or my ability as a golfer, and that just takes away from our ability to, to truly navigate with what's really out there. Instead of being all this, this the, the problem so much of it is is focusing internally about how am I doing? Am I good enough? How do I compare to to, to Billy Bob? <laughs> what's we get in that? What's we get in that? I guarantee you don't play with anyone named Billy Bob, but I get it. Well, I had George in my head. I went, no, I didn't see George because we just had George on. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, it, and, it, and if I'm standing next to you on the fairway and we have 168, and uh, and and again, it happens to me quite a bit. I think you know, not quite a bit, but I'm a play with guys. Well, what did you hit there? And I go, it doesn't matter really what I hit because I can hit my six iron 150 and I can hit it 180. It, it, it's what shot did I want to play there? You know what I mean? One of the things about playing where I play, and a little bit with you, but at Glen Karen, it's really windy all the time. Yeah. And, and some of, and for a long time, I whined about it. And I, you know, I, as, as George said, what was the thing he said at the beginning about, you know, um, God, it was only 40 minutes ago, but but I I, I, I resisted it. I, I was... Can neither of us remember? <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't. Here, here's where I'll go. It just like, I'll just jump in here. Maybe this will spark it. So you, you, play, you, play, with, you play with Paul Gortner. Yes. Who's like a plus what, two. 15, and he's about 15, 20 years your junior? Yes. Okay. So if he hits a shot, you know, you're, at, you're, st- you're both standing about 168 yards out. And he hits, say, you know... And a, a seven iron, based on you know the strength that he has, his ball flight, you can just take her and factor that in. Whatever he hit, ugh, it doesn't really matter, right? Because you're not because you're because your job is not to hit. Oh, whatever Paul could do, I can do. No, that's not it. It's about getting your golf ball onto the green near the hole, right? And so you can use what he did as data. Well, for sure. I, I know what I was going to say, though, in terms of for the longest time I played this course, it's very windy, and I resisted it. It was like uh, yeah. I tried to push back against it. And as I got sort of more, you know, understanding of what I was doing, it for me, my favorite shots are when I hit that six iron 142. You know, like when I choke so cool. down on it and I hit it low so cool. and it, it, it turns out like that to me is a satisfying experience. Yeah, it's fun hitting it downwind 185 off a flyer lie and it it just bounces forever. But but to me, the, the for at least me personally, I, I find that the, the challenge of me or the idea of meeting that challenge extremely satisfying as opposed to what's the number that I should hit this shot. So that's one of the things in this idea of 10 is you know really become honest and i love the fact they use the word honest with -hmm. yourself about what you're hitting you know and i've often talked about my buddy tim southcott who doesn't hit the ball very far and he doesn't give a shit what you're hitting because if he's hitting a five iron and you're hitting a seven he doesn't care because he knows what he needs to do to uh to get the ball to where he wants it to go um and there's freedom and there's freedom in that yeah 
Absolute yep. freedom in that. And that's, again, back to George, what he's talking about is like, the, the, our objective in life in golf is not to be happy. Like, what is that? That's like, ugh, it's, it's, it's weird. It's apparently, according to the, a whole book section in Indigo. We're supposed to be happy twenty four seven. To me, that sounds like a great way to be miserable. Yeah, <laughs> but the the freedom thing is that's huge to be able to just step out of that that identifying and I have to do this and no, just do what you want. And just the last piece on that, we're all connecting to about you know hitting a six iron one hundred and forty two yards. That's hitting a golf shot. That's not trying to do something right. That's, That's right. That's not trying to meet some kind of standard. You're hitting a golf shot. Boy, if there's anything we could just, I could say to our listeners, you take into 2021, stop working on your golf swing and hit golf shots next year. You know, I think, isn't and that a, Golf is way more fun. I'm not sure if that's a Carl Morris thing. Correct me. It's somebody that we know pretty well who talks about asking great questions. And oh, one that's of Carl. And, and one of his things is, oh, so it's Carl is saying to yourself, you know, what's the shot here? Not exactly. what's the number I have to hit this six iron. What is the shot here? You know, and I, it's funny, while you were talking about that, I had this weird flash to a, uh, I guess I played a fun inter-club tournament with your guys there at Blue Springs. And I... Uh, oh, the Ryder Cup thing. Ryder Cup thing. And I, I got called in at the last minute, and I played on the Saturday. And one's a easy par four, two at Blue Springs, a tough, tough par three... And then the next hole is an is a I it's funny because it's it's like a such a short nothing hole, but I can tell you it was into the wind and I I lasered it to the end of the um, the fairway because it's a ninety degree dog leg and it was into the wind and whatever I hit five iron four iron I don't even know what I hit I just remember the shot that I hit and and it was so satisfying because it was a low kind of cut that I took it down the left hand side and when it ended up where where it ended up was perfect but it was just that I pulled that shot off and it wasn't a long drive and it wasn't a, a shot close to a pin but it was the shot necessary in that moment and that's what I think you you connected so well with those are the set to me the satisfaction the satisfactory things I, I, I cherish because because in that moment and it's about being present because that mm -hmm. moment called for that shot, not a golf swing. It called for that shot in that moment, and I, I love that. Yeah, because that's a, to me that's a visceral yeah. physical experience. It's not coming up with the right swing key at this moment so that I'm going to get the outcome I want, which is not really that satisfying. I mean, talk about something that's transitory. But when you hit a shot like that, it's a physical experience that you can savor. Yeah. And you can kind of like feel it in your body. So when when people hit shots like that, I say, anchor that, man. Just Well, and you made a you make a good point. In. You make a great point. That that those those things have nothing to do with your laundry list of swing keys that you're working on. Because in order to do those things, and we've all done them, everyone listening has had a shot or two like that in the summer. But in those moments, as you say, anchor that because because those show a presence, uh, a visceral, I love that word. They show a physical, you're physically there and taking in all the elements, the wind, the wind direction, the cold, all that stuff. And, and you know, that's the satisfaction of the game. The last thing on this list is where I'll leave it for people. It says, have a coach they trust. And that doesn't just mean a coach you trust to look at your golf swing. I'm really lucky because one of my best buddies is not only my uh, drinking coach, but he's also a, uh, an amazing golf resource. But I think for someone like you, you know, have someone like Tim 
that you can have these conversations with. You know, I'm lucky that we do this show together, but, you know, I would say that I can't recommend you enough, but if, if you know, if you can't get to Tim, get to somebody. Like George said, open your mouth, share your golf suffering with somebody, and you'll find out, you know, we're all the same. We're all doing the same stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, there's so much... Uh, freedom and peace and feeling letting go of the stuff. I, I use this talk, this metaphor all the time. So many of our thoughts, uh, the recurring thoughts, maybe how I suck, how this isn't going to work out, it's like a toxin that roils around in our gut. And, and, we, we, it's, it's, and it just plays over and over again. And, but when we release it, when we give it voice to it, man, it feels good. But unfortunately... It goes against our cultural paradigm of what it, especially it means to be a man. I see it affecting more and more women. But really, it, we still get these very toxic messages that to be a man or to be you know, independent, you've got to be stoic, suck it up, got to deal with it. You know, man, that's just such old bullshit. But, you know, it, it, so the invitation, people, is that whatever you got going on, whether it's your golf game or just some other things, take that risk. Get with someone you can trust. You know, maybe maybe say, you know, can I tell you something in some conf- in, in confidence, and and just take that little risk, and you and I think guarantee what you'll find is like, holy crap, I crossed this line of my fear, and I didn't die. <laughs> well, in fact, I feel so much better for it. Well, you know, it's interesting you say about I, I said something or I shared something and I didn't die. You know, one of the things they say, and I, I've mentioned this on the show about professional golfers, they say if you want to turn pro, you've got to be comfortable with a, a certain level of humiliation. <laughs> and uh, I would yeah. say it's a corollary to that. You know, if and this is what we talk about with stand-up comics, but man, if if you can, if you're okay. With occasionally being extremely embarrassed, life becomes pretty easy. You know, like a lot of us don't like to don't like to show that vulnerability. And I was talking my it's it's weird. I had this crazy conversation the other day with my ex wife about my girlfriend. She said, you know, how are things going? Just to you know, ask me how are things going. And I said, you know, one of the things I love about Rachel is that she makes fun of me in a way that doesn't make me feel bad. And it's the most liberating thing. Like, she makes me laugh at myself. You know, and, and, and of all the things, other things I like about her, that is probably my favorite. That she liber- I feel liberated to be a, 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 an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I just do. Like, she, she makes fun of me in a way that doesn't make me feel weird. You know, I just like it. And it's, it's funny because sometimes I find, like, why am I having such a good time? Because she's making fun of me, but it's true. Like, what she's saying about me is true. But it's, like, it's able to... killing you. And it's not killing me, but it's... And I'm able to laugh at it, too, which is so... Um, I just feel good. It makes yeah. me. I, I I I know you can't, and no one can make you feel anything. But it feels good when you can trust somebody like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's just a. It's it's liberating. It's like I took took. It's like I taking the shackles off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can say, you know, within reason, obviously, what I what I want, the things that I really want to express, and that's there's there's freedom in that, and I think that why we find professional golf so captivating to watch on TV is because 
in essence, we're projecting our own experience on whoever we're watching. You know, whether it's Roy McElroy or Frodo, <laughs> when they're going through their struggles, yeah. we're there with them. And and it's like, okay, uh, Dustin Johnson in uh, at, at at the Masters there when he chunked the uh, that shot on two into the bunker, I felt my heart start to speed up. Yeah. That was my own experience. So it's like, oh, how's he going to do this? Because I was living and dying with him. But they're able, because they have the skill and the experience to go, all right, that's done. Let's move on. And they operate with some freedom, even if, you know, they throw up all over themselves, you know, at the end of a tournament, which we've watched Rory McIlroy do. We watched them all do that. But he, you know, there he is, the next tournament. And he, he takes his swings. You know, you, you just touched on something I think is brilliant. You know, in, in literature, in stories, they call it the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's what we all relate to, you know. the Just look it up. But but it's it's prevalent through all great stories. And golf gives us a chance every Sunday. That's what I was telling Fred the other day. I said, I'm so lucky that this is my sport because I get to watch somebody win a championship Every Sunday at 3, I know by 6 o'clock or 7, I'm going to watch somebody win this thing. You know, when you're watching the Leafs play, you know, Ottawa on a Tuesday night, who really gives a sh- uh, Yes, someone's going to win the game, but so what? The championship is so far in the future at this oh, one I game. Can't. Whereas golf, yeah. that championship is a couple hours from now, and we're going to see somebody, Dustin Johnson, whoever, go through a hero's journey. And why that chunk gives you a feeling inside, because you're like, ah, my, the, 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 we're seeing some struggles on the journey here, which we've all done. And unlike hockey or basketball, where we can't play it at, at, in, our, in our age, you know, it's 60s, and, and, and they don't screw up as much. as You know, once in a while you'll see a guy have a free throw at the end of a game and miss it. But the flow of those games is such that, you know, the, the mistakes aren't as... Um, not noticeable, but just as public. Because in every golf tournament, we see the best players do those things. You know, leave a, a shot in the bunker, miss a putt, three putt, all that stuff. I just got very excited. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, again, it's it's it's. I I think the key piece around the the hero's journey piece is that. As I say, when we're watching Rory or Dustin or Frodo or Harry Potter, whomever, what's happening there, the reason we get excited, because somehow we are in it with them. Yes. We're on that journey to the Mordor or whatever it is, or (laughs) to the 18th Queen of Augusta. (laughs) We're there with them. That's why, you know... We're we're going to extra holes with Lord Voldemort. I get it. You're... you're (laughs) (laughs) Harry Potter's a plus three. I get, I get it. It's not fair. Well, you, you know what? I'll go right to this. When um, when Dustin Johnson was being interviewed on the green with um, Lee, what's her name? Uh, Paulina. No, no, no. He was being interviewed by the CBS. Oh, person. Amanda Balionis. Exactly, Amanda. I'm not sure we talked about this on this show, but like I was bawling. I think we watching, did watching him struggle. It's like I was just, and I, I, she handled that so skillfully because you know normally people don't you know like silence. Yeah, you know we don't like silence. That's awkward. She just let it hang there, and so when he's bawling, I'm bawling. You're bawling. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> because that's because we're all in that same experience together. Yep, and that's the beauty of of those things so 
So I guess to kind of bring it back, like how do we then on the golf course or in the kitchen with our partner or our 14-year-old daughter or colleagues at work is is to understand that is that we can get caught up in so much of that. So there's kind of like a – but if we identify ourselves as, you know, uh, the world's greatest golfer or I need to be, you know, as the HR director of this company, <laughs> at this moment, I need to say the exact right thing. Mm-hmm. Or otherwise, I'm going to look stupid. Well, as soon as we start to identify with that, that's that's when we choke. That's when it doesn't work out very well. So uh, there's a piece. I have this actually taped to my um, little laptop platform, and it says, "It's only when we pay no more attention to our own deeds and our own reputation and our own excellence that we're at last completely free." That's from uh, Thomas Merton, and. And that takes some skill, I think, is to be able to go, whoa, I'm caught up in that nonsense again. I'm just going to put a little stop to that. Well, I don't know if you can hear this. Thank you. It's from my very favorite Christmas album. Charlie Brown's uh, Christmas. Vince Garaldi. Vince Vince Garaldi, absolutely. So as this plays, let us uh, wind down another year of Swing Thoughts from the management and staff of Swing Thoughts, the podcast. Howard Glassman and Tim O'Connor would like to wish you and yours a very... When I was a kid growing up in Moose Jaw and early in radio, there was these... Every year we had to produce Christmas commercials... For our clients. And it was always the management and staff of Musha uh, Tire and Z- Tire Zone wants to wish you and yours. I did hundreds of these. But, but sincerely, from the management and staff of Swing Thoughts, on behalf of Tim and myself, we'd like to wish each, each and every one of you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holiday, Peace on Earth. And uh, on a personal note, uh, what a gas doing this show with you, man. I dig it. Yeah, and I look an, forward an, to another year of it. Journey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I was telling people that we're going to our fifth year. Dude, we're going to do our sixth year. How is that this. possible? How is that possible? Well, I'm a certain age. You're a certain no, no, age. No, no. Like, what did we start? What year What year was it? 2015. <laughs> was it? 2015. Oh, wow. Well, listen, man. Um, I can tell you we're having a very responsible Glassman... Family Christmaca uh, this year. I had a Zoom call with my kids and their mother yesterday, and uh, we're doing a Christmas sort of brunch together in my ex-wife's garage with like like they there's these girls are serious. So we're not we don't want to cross pollinate our bubbles and oh, abs- no absolutely we're, you know same thing in our family. My mom's eighty nine, and so. We made a decision that Sandy and I and Sean, Corey's, he's in B.C. this year. Yeah. We're not going to London for Christmas. Oh, actually, we might go, like, Boxing Day and go for a walk in the park and yeah. and, and wave at them or something. But I think it's a responsible thing to do. And, and, I, and I keep thinking about this phrase that I read about, you know, years from now, you're gonna we're all going to look back at this time in our lives and, you know, and sort of have to ha- sort of reconcile how we acted. You know, what did we do during this? 
Mm-hmm. And I was very proud of my kids yesterday because it would have been easy to go, okay, we'll just come over. But they were like, no. We started talking about all the people that we interact with. And I'm in a sort of bubble with Rachel and her brother. These are the only people I interact with in person. Even my yeah. children. I go see them with masks on and we don't hug. And, and so this year we're going to continue to do that until such time, you know, that it's safe to get back in, in intimate contact. <laughs> I said to both of them, I said, okay. We're not going to get together this year, but next year I'm licking everyone's eyeballs. Everyone gets a good eyeball licking from Papa. <laughs> you know what? Let's just leave it there. Yeah. And I can't, we can't beat that. All right. Well, listen, man. Uh, I just want to wish you the best. I so much. I so enjoy your company in uh, all ways. And uh, all the best to the O'Connor family from the management and staff of me. <laughs> <laughs> All, all of that right back at you, man. This okay. is such a blast. Thanks. All right. We'll uh, see everyone. I think it's the uh, first week of January. Humble and Fred show uh, off as of Christmas Eve. And we're back on the 4th. Uh, Tim available at O'ConnorGolf.ca. And you can always uh, catch up on what I'm up to at HumbleandFredRadio.com. Until next time. Double phone.